All right, well, good morning, everybody. If you uh, haven't met me yet, my name is Pastor Brad, and I'm the youth pastor around here. So a couple weekends ago, over the long President's Day weekend, uh, myself and a group of uh, 20 others from our church went and joined a couple hundred others up at Sugar Pine for winter retreat. And uh, this was an incredible uh, thing that happened because... Uh, it turns out that for the last couple weekends, including the weekend we were originally slated to go until we had donors come up with enough money to send us over the longer weekend, those... What do we think, Aaron? Hold up, hold up. One, one moment. Uh, that were at that camp and are willing to share some of their reflections. So uh, will you give a warm welcome today to Jeremy, Josiah, and Bethany. Will you all come up on stage with us? Yeah. So on the screen, you can sort of see uh, some of the images from this weekend. And uh, it's, it's a sign, right? I got to get my mic checked. So, so it's good that I have someone to pass the mic to. So uh, starting, let's see. Here, why don't you two switch faces? You two, yep, uh-huh. Yeah, they're perfect. Okay. Uh, Bethany, we'll start with you, um, and I'm going to ask this to everybody. How and when did you experience God uh, as part of our, our three-day weekend together? Bethany. Okay, so for me, um, before camp started, I was, like, struggling to go a little bit. I didn't really want to go because I didn't really think it would impact me that much, but um, throughout the weekend, I really saw God a lot because, like, it did impact me a lot, and it really, like, got me a whole new perspective on, like, Christianity, and I got to, you know, talk to new people, and it was just, like, really good for, like, my soul, and I just realized, like, like it did impact me because I didn't think it would, so that's how, like, God spoke to me. Hello, I'm Jeremy. Um, I went to camp as well. Um, I felt like one of the main things that impacted me was when we were all in chapel, as a lot of you guys probably already know, chapel is based off Jesus and a lot of worshiping. When we are in there, the speaker, Derek, from Clovis Hills, Clovis Hills, he was amazing at speaking. He, he was like, he just touched all of, like, um, he, he, was, he was just really good at speaking. And <laughs> when we were all, like, in there, all of us boys, we were all in there, and, like, I felt like he just touched us all, like, in our own ways, like, we all ended up going back to our cabin, we all, <laughs> we all sat in there in silence and cried, I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> all of us, and we all, we turned the lights back on, we all said, well, before we turned the lights back on, we all said our own prayers, one by one, individually, all 12 of us, 12 including Cam, Cam came for the day, and he ended up being there at that, at that moment, and we all got up, turned the lights back on, we all hugged each other and told each other we love each other. And it was like something like I felt like wouldn't happen normally. And it just, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, I experienced God in two ways that weekend. Um, one, just because I could definitely, I definitely needed that weekend, just because I have definitely, I have a pretty, sometimes I get really tired and 
my life gets pretty hard and I think I need to I think I need to accomplish stuff and do stuff that is not necessary and I get hard on myself and sometimes I just realized that weekend that despite if I fail or not that just having Jesus in my life and loving Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus is enough and I also experienced God because I truly think that I I really enjoyed our um what do we call it small time small group time after the chapel cabin time the cabin time was it was it was really special because a lot the message from Derek um really touched everyone's hearts and I could just sense the spirit of God in our cabin and in the entire camp and it was really it was really touching and really cool. So uh, what do you what do you guys take away from this experience? Okay, so we've been back for a couple weeks now. Uh, what is it that you you all take away from our time together? Bethany. Um so I took away a couple of things. One of the things I took away was that like I have like a church family and that I have kids my age who understand like things I go through because we go through similar things because we're all teenagers. And I just, I connected with a lot of people and I just, I realized like, oh my gosh, like I'm so grateful to have these people in my life and that I can like be comfortable and share with these people. And um, cabin time definitely was, um, it was good too because I felt really comfortable to share. And I was just like, wow, it's really great to have kids my age who are also Christian that I can share my life with. And then um, I also took away um, the speaker. Yeah, he was really good. And it's kind of like what he was talking about, his main point from the weekend really like connected to where I currently was in my Christianity. And he really gave me a new perspective on things. And like just what he talked about really inspired me to like realize the importance of a relationship with God. And it just really opened my eyes and it was just, it was really eye-opening to me, and I think it was really good. One of the, um, what was the question again, Brad? What do, you, <laughs> what, what do you take away from it? A word, an insight, a next step from the weekend? Well, I'm not sure if I'm answering this question correctly, but one of my, the main things, like Brad pointed out to me too, one of the words I said at camp, he wrote it down for all of us during chapel. One of my words was get up. And I feel like I struggle with getting up. And like personally, like schoolwork, I can't find the encouragement sometimes. And I feel like just the words get up, like, or like, it's like me telling myself to get up, you got this, find the encouragement, stop sitting around and. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, for me, yeah, I, I really like what Jeremy said. I. I struggle with getting up too. Um, and I would say that my main takeaway is just to do, just to give everything to God. Just everything I do, do it for Him. And because I believe that if I do everything for God, that my life will have purpose. And I believe that, that that's how I should live life. Awesome. Round of applause for these students, everybody. Thank you guys.
All right, well, speaking of uh, being on a mountain, today's text, in today's text, we see Jesus going up on a mountain. All right, so we're going to pick up the story today. This is Matthew's biography of Jesus, and we pick up the story at this particular point at which Jesus' closest followers, after years with him, have began to formulate and confess their hypothesis about who he is. And finally, it's taken about three years, but finally, it kind of comes up. They say, okay, Jesus, we think we know who you are. We think that you are the Messiah. We think, having watched you and and seen how you talk and seen the power of God in you, we think you are the chosen one, the promised one of old, sent by God on a rescue mission to rescue humanity from the power of sin and death. But Jesus is still not behaving or speaking in a way that his followers can track or that they would prefer. See, in Jesus' latest discourse, Matthew tells us that Jesus has essentially set himself on a crash course, a collision course, with the political and religious authorities of his day. And so Jesus has just been talking about the necessity of his own death and crucifixion and somehow how this will involve them also picking up their crosses. And now all of his followers are duly confused. And with that, we jump in. This is a week after this confusing conversation with his followers. Matthew tells us this. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Because we have this nice little getaway, a little weekend retreat. And there on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. He was changed. He was transformed. The Greek word here is what we take the word metamorphosis from. You all remember that science project the first time in elementary school where you were feeding the plump little caterpillar, right? And then one morning you come in and there's just those little, you know, chrysalises or little cocoons and they're just hanging there and hanging there. Uh, And then one morning you come in and you take off your backpack and all of a sudden you see those beautifully flapping little wings, right? Metamorphosis. Jesus was metamorphosed before them so that they saw him as he was. Their vision was changed. They're not, Jesus does not get filled with the glory of God on the mountain. He's already full of the glory of God, but their vision is changed. The early church father, Ephraim the Syrian, he put it this way. He says, in this moment, the miracle is that Jesus is transforming our eyes to see him as he is. Their prescription lenses were changed in this moment. And what do they see? Well, Matthew tells us his face shone like the sun. Think about it like this. In other words, they're like, Matthew, what was it like when they saw Jesus? And he's like, well, staring at Jesus was essentially like staring at that one thing in the natural universe that you can't stare at because it's so bright that you just have to divert your eyes and turn away. It's like that's what it was like. In fact, the scriptures tell us that even his clothes became as white as the light. See, you and I wear clothes that, notwithstanding my particular outfit today, that we hope, that we hope changes our figures to appear in a good light. Jesus' figure appears in such a light that it changes his very clothes. Jesus is different, so his clothes are glowing. Just then, that's not all, there appeared before them the two larger-than-life heroes of Jewish antiquity, Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. 
Remember, there's that old icebreaker. Sometimes they do this at business functions. You know, you sit down with this crowd of strangers, and they're like, if you could have lunch with any three people, living or dead, who would you choose and why? Well, apparently Jesus gets his wish, right? And he's got Moses and Elijah, and all of a sudden they're there, and they're having this amazing conversation. And we sort of wonder, what are they talking about? I know to have a, a sort of transcript of this conversation between these, these three figures. But meanwhile... Having never overheard a conversation he wasn't willing to interrupt, Peter said to Jesus. <laughs> Notice there's always one friend, at least one, in every group that just always has something to say, right? I've been this person, some of you have, I'm sure. But there's always that one friend who, maybe you're out at a restaurant, and they just always have their hand raised, you know, kind of, they're motioning to the waitress, kind of like, hey, could we get some refills over here, or check, please, you know, you're just like, dude, like, they haven't forgotten about us, just like, sit down. Or, or maybe you're in class, and there's just, the teacher is coming to their point, and they're in the middle of their lecture, and there's the fifth question of the day from that one desk, and you're just like, put your hand down. Stop reminding the teacher about the test that we have today and the homework and all the Like, they told me as a kid, you know, when I, when I was a kid, they'd say, there's no such thing as a bad question. And I'm like, well, I think I've heard a few, like, by this point, you know what I mean? So I'm not sure if that really holds up. Anyway, here comes Peter. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, in other words, interrupting Peter, as Peter has just interrupted Jesus, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, friends, in other parts of the world and branches of the church, this episode of the Jesus story has been given centuries of attention. In fact, in some places I've heard from some of my friends that have, have lived and studied abroad that there are places where entire days off nationally are given for people to just kind of contemplate and celebrate the glory of Jesus described in this scene. And here's an image that comes out of one of those traditions. And it's the picture that depicts many of the details um, for us that we've just read about. At the middle, obviously, the focal point of the, of the painting, we see this light emanating, radiating from the figure of Christ. And there on either side, at the top half, we have uh, Moses and Elijah turned towards Jesus in this conversation. And then at the bottom half of the picture, we have sprawled out on the ground the three disciples. I'm not sure if you can spot who's who. But traditionally, over here on the right-hand side, we have James, and he's turning away, and he's covering his face. And then always in the middle, they put John. They put John in the middle, the artists tell us, because in this moment, he, he sees Jesus in this moment of glory, of, of transfiguration, and he's standing beneath him. But the artists want us to remember that he soon will be standing beneath Jesus, transfixed on Jesus as he is on the crucifix. These artists do these crazy details. They have meaning, just layers and layers of meaning. But my favorite detail and why I've included it for this morning is over here on our left-hand side is Brother Peter with the hand raised, right? Excuse me, gentlemen, a word, if you will. Just kind of butting into the conversation. Now, here's the deal. 
I want to I kind of tease this out. Like, what is the problem with Peter in this, in this, this case? Like, what's wrong with what he said? So let's, let's remind ourselves again of what he said. The thing is, is that Luke, when Luke tells this story, he says that when Peter spoke, he, quote, did not know what he was saying. In other words, he was out of his depth. He was out of order. You, you all done the Robert's Rules of Order? Like, he should not have talked at this time. Have you ever done that? So it's like, okay, but what's wrong with what he said? So let, let's just remind ourselves again. Here's what Peter said. Peter said this, CJ. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So his math is right. But what's the problem? Well, there's a lot that could be said, but this morning I want to suggest just one, one aspect of this. This morning I want to suggest that this is the religious impulse speaking. See, here's, here's what Peter wants to do. Peter wants to do something for Jesus. Peter wants to help. He doesn't want the moment to fade. He wants to capture the glory. He's trying to domesticate the moment. God, if we could just kind of build a shelter for this thing and keep it here. As the great preacher, the Reverend Terry K. Anderson says, Peter wakes up to say, Lord, let's build three churches. Let's get some pews in here and a worship band and some child care for the little ones. We might say, let's start three committees. Lord, if you wish, I will make up three budget lines. Let's get three cabins in here. Let's start a camp ministry. Let's get some programs going. We'll hire a staff. But above all, Lord, let's stay here, up on the mountaintop. We tend to want to prolong the experience of glory. And coming home from camp, you know, students, I knew they had a good time because they were texting me things like this real fast. We come home Monday. By Tuesday morning, I got some texts like, oh, Pastor Brad, I wish we could have stayed another night, Right? Oh, Pastor Brad, like, I, I just can't wait to go back. It's a good thing. They're having a good time. And, you know, I didn't have the heart to tell them, like, listen, Omi, I'm not sure how long Pastor Brad's back would have made it on that bunk bed mattress, you know? Like, I'm <laughs> not sure when we're going to be going back again. But as the song says, we wish we could turn back time to the good old days, right? You ever been there? Wish we could relive that day or that year or extend our vacation for just another night, because sometimes it's good to be where you're at. I was hanging out, I'm hanging out with all these seniors in high school, and it got me thinking back to, a, as I'm telling them, like, there's good times ahead, you know, because they're all nostalgic, you know, like, my life's over, man. I'm like, you'll be okay, brother. But, like, and don't tell them I said that. Um, anyways, I was thinking back to my orientation week at university, right? I was thinking back to how good it was. It was so fun. We got to get there early, and you're meeting all these people, and you're hearing about all these things, and you're going to be independent. Like, orientation week. It was good to be there. But at some point, I had to start classes, right? If I wanted that degree, I had to start actually getting units. So I was thinking about, you know, it's like the, the bliss of the honeymoon stage in marriage is good. It is good to be there. But you can't stay in Cancun forever, right? You can't get to your golden anniversary spending 50 years at a resort. At some point, you got to go home together, it was good when we had our, our first child and when he was healthy and we, we had him, I remember, in the maternity ward. And there's all these nurses around, right? And they just are doing all this expert stuff and they're telling you you're okay. And they got like little extra beanies and socks and diapers. It was good to be there. But at some point, we wanted to bring the boy home. Camp was good. It was good to be there. It was good to see Jesus, as students have already talked about this morning, to hear God's voice. 
If you can, I encourage you, think back to a time for you in your own story when you experienced God's presence in a meaningful, memorable way. And if you haven't, if you, don't, if you can't locate a moment like that, I would just say, think back to a time when you felt joy. Because in our tradition, we would say God was with you in that moment, whether you recognize him. But think back to a really good time. It's good to be there. And see, here's the thing. There's a reason Jesus took these three men up on the mountain. There's plenty of times he went alone to pray, but not this time. There's a reason that they were there. Leah, who couldn't be with us this morning, she was texting in her reflections, and she told me, she said, Pastor Brad, from the moment that I got there, and then over and over again throughout the three days, I felt like I was meant to be there. She says it was a weird feeling for me, but I felt like I was meant to be here, like God wanted me to be there. And I said this, I said, Leah, she's right. It is good to be here. But she's not meant to stay there. Peter suggests that they just settle down and pitch some tents. But after God speaks, Jesus comes by and touches Peter and tells him to get up. Get up. I I asked the boys in my cabin, this has already been mentioned, I asked the boys in my cabin, I said, if there really were a living God who cared about you, what do you think that God would tell you? What do you think? And we talked about it. And, and some boys said, embrace. You know, I want God, God, God wants to embrace me. Someone else said, focus. I feel like God is calling me to focus. So somebody said, change. Somebody said, love. But as we've heard already this morning, I didn't know if he'd shared or not. But one of our young men said, get up. That's what he felt God saying. Those are the exact words of Jesus in our passages. Get up. I just throw it out there as a, as a loose invitation. I don't know who that's for. So there's all sorts of things that can get us down and settle where God doesn't want us to be. I don't know who, who you're speaking to, but I would just encourage you with these words that come from Jesus through our camp, through this text this morning. So some of you, get up. I don't know what that means for you. Get up. What is it that God wants you to do? Well, in Peter's case, Peter is meant to get up and come back to the valley, to follow Jesus down the hill, but to come back changed. Because here's, here's the thing I want to emphasize this morning for all of us. Seeing Jesus changed is only the beginning of transformation. The metamorphosis is only getting started. Check out how the early church pastor and thinker Paul describes the Christian life. There's a lot of images here. We'll just emphasize two of them. But Paul says this, and all of us who with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed. Same word here as what Matthew used this morning, transfigured, metamorphosed, changed, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now watch. The work of transformation, notice the flow of of the verse. The work of transformation begins by seeing the glory of the Lord. To see the light of Jesus with unveiled, unobstructed, uninhibited vision to behold Christ as he is. That's the beginning of transformation. And I want to say this clearly. I wish... For each of you today, that you would see Jesus in your own ways, in your own way, that you would see Jesus in communion and in art and in music and in hymns and in the blossoms out there and at camps and whichever way, that you would see the goodness and the beauty and the truth of Jesus in his ways. I wish that for you, but that's not the only thing that I wish for you, nor is it the only promise that is in this text. Because friends, I also hope that the same power And the same spirit and the same light that shone from Christ, 
that blew Peter, James, and John's minds to see in Jesus, that we heard reflected already in what Josiah and Jeremy and Bethany shared. I hope that that same light might be reflected in your life. Because here is a staggering claim of the Christian tradition. I'll give it to you straight. The Christian tradition says this, you were designed and purposed in life to bear the glory of God. To reflect the image of God. The light of Christ transforming you, illuminating you from the inside out. And obviously there's lots of other aims in life that we could settle for. For gratification, or for fame, or for security, or for control. There's all these other aims. But the Bible is clear. The scriptures tell us you were built for better, you were made for more. You were designed and purposed in life to bear the glory of God. See, what is on offer in Jesus is not just a weekly religious service wherein we get to observe the glory of God as if at a distance, or we can schedule it for certain weekends that fit into certain winter retreats every year. That's not what's on offer. What's on offer is a lifelong transformation process that as the old school King's English would describe it. Isn't that funny? I was saying King's English and I mixed it up. Anyways, would describe it, would see us change from, as the KGV said, from glory to glory. Not glory way back then to mediocrity in the present. Not glory on the mountaintop, but boredom in the valley. Not glory then to I'm not even sure that that was real anymore, or that's enough change for me, thank you. But the metamorphosing, transfiguring light of the spirit of Jesus multiplied and refracted in our lives and moving us forward from one degree, degree of glory to another. So, friends, when I think of my own latest mountaintop experience with these students, I'm grateful for the glory that I saw up there at camp and how Jesus showed up there in a way that many could see. I'm like, that's cool and all, and I'll be honest, man, like, Jeremy skipped over the, the part where we were all crying in our cabin, and I was there shining, shaking, crying. It was, it was beautiful. It was moving. But you know what I'm even more excited about? is not what we experienced up there. What excites me and interests me most is the glory of God I see reflected in our students today. To see the faces of young people that are lit up and glowing with hope and the glint in the eye of a young man who has renewed purpose and a friend group that is suddenly radiating welcome and the glowing reports of encouraging leaders that I don't even know who are coming by and they're saying these things that they see in my group that are special and I don't even see why because they're seen with renewed lenses. They're seeing the transformative work of God that's special and at work in these young people. How glorious it is, friends, to see the glory of God in one another, in all of you. It brought Jamie to tears. She's saying, your, your praise is moving her. She sees the glory of God in you. It's a beautiful thing. So yes, as this picture of my cabin uh, clearly shows from the weekend, we did have a great time, a lot of fun, uh, as you can see there reflected on all those countenances. Ah. Okay, so the picture's stage, right? The picture's stage. We're all doing the athlete thing or whatever. Josiah can't keep it together. What a shame. That's all right. Unbelievable. Ethan's cracking a bit. But here's the idea. I love this picture. I love this picture not only because there's two kids up in the picture who felt they were adopted by our group, and so they took the picture with us even though we didn't bring them. That's not the only reason I love this picture. I don't love this picture 
because Aaron Croker looks like he's about to drop a rap album there. Look at that. I don't only love it for that reason. Here's the thing. I love it because here's the deal. I'm going to be honest. I haven't heard a dissenting opinion to this yet. In our group and in our neighborhood, we have some tough kids. We have some rough kids from some hard places. And so sometimes I was thinking to myself, I was thinking as I, as I was enjoying this image, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, sometimes it is hard to see the work of transformation happening beneath rough exteriors. But then I was also thinking to myself, I said to myself, I said, you know what, though? If I was to just judge a cocoon from the outside looking in, just hanging there day by day, kind of lifeless looking and boring and sedentary, well, there's not much that seems to be happening. And yet, what a metamorphosis. What life, what transformation, what light, what color is taking place on the inside? So friends, may God transform and transfigure our ways of seeing so that first we might see his son more fully and that he might transform us by his spirit from glory to glory. Amen.